that, my dears, is Rob Manford to the fans, and the fans love the way he lies. Welcome to Dong City, June 15th, 2020 edition. We have a lot of news coming in. Vince, how are you doing today, buddy? <laughs> I was doing great until uh, maybe two or three hours ago. Yeah. Now, I think, Henry, we have reached the episode we never thought we'd reach, and that is the Doomsday edition, the real Doomsday edition. But uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I think, uh, like you said, I think today is – I'm starting to feel like there won't be any baseball in sides of preparing for legal battles. Yeah, and uh, I think definitely this is now more about – the future than it is this season, which is the first time we can really say that. Um, so all of that said, we do have a lot to get to this week. Uh, we're going to be getting to, we're going to be getting to the negotiation to where baseball stands currently, which is not in a good place. Um, we're going to also recap the draft. We're going to talk about Rob Manford in general. This is now more about we're going to talk about the Yankee scandal that, that creeped up on us over the weekend. Nice little scandal going on there. And of course, we'll get to, uh, and we're going to start, though, with uh, Long Gone Summer, which, Henry, I know you watched last night. I know there was an open thread. I, of course, wasn't part of it because I wasn't watching it last night, but I did watch it during a slow day of work today. Don't tell anyone. Um, so we can talk about that first, right? Because this is now at least in a time when baseball existed and was in a good place. Um, so let's talk about some happy memories first. Yeah, I, I, um, when ESPN came out with their series of 30 for 30 specials, this is the one I personally circled on the calendar that I was excited to see the most. The Jordan one, I mean, everyone was going to watch that. It was, you know, 10 parts. They did a great job with it. Um, even the Lance Armstrong one was pretty damn good. The Bruce Lee one was awesome. And then they came to Long Gone Summer, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, the 98 baseball summer season, and they laid a giant egg. <laughs> How can you screw that up? That's, that was my first thought. Giant egg, dude. I said, you can't fuck this up. In the middle of the negotiations, this is the one thing you can't screw up, and they screwed it up. Here's some foreshadowing. This was the Rob Manfred of documentaries because he basically was like handed a silver platter and shit all over. But I agree with you. And I saw the reviews too. And the reviews, you know, everyone seems to be in agree agreement that uh, this missed the mark. Uh, saw a lot of whiff puns in reviews and that was probably pretty accurate. It, um, I purposely didn't see any reviews because I didn't want to skew my thoughts. And I watched it um, and I said, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. And it was bad. You know what the thing is, and you were a little older than me, but I was um, I was 11 years old when that happened, so I obviously remember it. <laughs> we, I still have McGuire's 60-second home run on a VHS somewhere. Um, and I think I've told this story before. I was at the Baseball Hall of Fame, the one and only time I've gone, two days before he broke the record. So I think he was at 61, if I remember correctly, and they were showing every at-bat in the Hall of Fame as I was walking through it. Uh, so that's a little segment of history for me. And I don't feel like I learned anything additionally than when I was 11 years old. Like I, I was, I guess, cool to hear like McGuire talk about it from his standpoint. So, so it was nice that he spoke English again. I'm glad he was able to refine that quality. But, uh, but I don't feel like I learned anything. Baseball has been very, very good to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad he's at peace, by the way, with everything he did wrong. Total accountability there. He's like, well, I'm okay with it, so I don't have to admit to anyone anything. 
I, I will say what this documentary did do is it made me feel a little bad for Sammy Sosa. Um, at the time, I was 18 years old when this happened. So, you know, I was, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I see Eddie's comment. Hey, guys, it's Eddie. Yeah. Hey, Eddie. <laughs> and hey, uh, we got a, a hello earlier, too, from, uh, um, from our so guy. Hello to him, too. This reinforced what I always thought that McGuire was about as boring as a player can possibly be. And this was a two-hour documentary, which an hour and 45 minutes was highlights and home runs. And yeah. 15, the last 15 minutes they get into, like 15, 20 minutes they get into the PED things, which the first thing they do was mention Barry Bonds. Yeah. They're like, oh, this is the face of PED. These, yeah, these two guys that you just spent an hour and a half talking about, they were involved in it as well. Did you notice that little clip of Bonds, by the way, on one of the McGuire home runs? <laughs> that that was telling. Dude, it, it opened with Todd McFarlane. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it opened with a collector, and I'm like, come on, it's Todd McFarlane. I, I just, I, I wasn't cool with it. Um, like I said, it was, it was all highlights and home runs. And it was all about McGuire, who was boring. Yeah. The Sosa clips were very few, and the ones that you did see Sammy in, you were excited. You see how much fun Sammy had playing the game. You see how boring McGuire was at Prescott. You can see how him being around Sosa relaxed him and loosened him up a little bit. Sammy was fun, man. And, and like I said, I left this documentary feeling bad for Sammy Sosa because while he was linked to PEDs, there were so many guys who were linked to PEDs. McGuire got a job in the MLB. Bonds got a job in MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's a few other guys who've gotten jobs. And Sosa has been pretty much exiled by the Cubs, who should feel embarrassed because earlier in the day, they posted a shitload of Sammy Sosa highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little hypocritical of the Cubs, but a lot of this is self-inflicted by Sosa. Um, Sosa and Palmero, if you notice, have been the guys who, like, aren't welcome back in anything. And part of the reason is that they never owned up to what they did. Uh, They were both the one, you know, the finger waggers in Congress denying everything. Well, Sosa didn't even deny, he was less than that. He didn't deny anything. He just pretended he couldn't speak English. Mm -hmm. Um, McGuire owned up to it. And I think that's part of the reason he was welcomed back and put in the Cardinals Hall of Fame and stuff like that. But you're right. I mean, this was a, they meant, this was one good thing they did. They mentioned in the documentary how night and day different so Sin McGuire were were in every quality whether it was their race whether it was their uh personalities whether it was playing for rivals uh whatever it was and having Griffey in there too was a nice touch I had forgotten he was the third the third guy in that race for a long time until like the last month of the season and uh when the season started, this is going to be the guy that breaks my Yeah, yeah, because no one knew what – I mean, I get McGuire did it 58th the year before. So you, you kind of have an idea he was going to be in that. No one saw Sosa coming. I think Griff hit 56, too, that same yeah, year. I, I'm pretty sure 97 was when he hit 56 or somewhere around there. Uh, Brian already called it. He, he knows me too well. This was this was Trout and Harper 20 years ago. If Trout and Harper were, like, goofed up on, on yeah. like – horse steroids uh but that that's what we were essentially seeing like sammy sosa was bryce harper and and mark mcguire was mm-hmm. mike trout and they balanced each other really well in that regard and it was a great home run race and that was part of it and just to have it a line where they're playing each other when mcguire breaks the record is like you can ask for a better situation that was perfect um i did you know what i felt bad for was uh roger maris's family 
Yeah. That reminded me of, you know, he paraded them out. He, they were there. He hugged them. They embraced him. They kind of passed that torch to him. And then you find out that it was all tainted. You know, if you're that family, you kind of got to, you got to feel like shit. So embarrassing. He had a microphone, you know, and made announcements like right after he did it. I mean, that was a major spectacle. Another takeaway I had from this is that uh, you saw the Marlins highlights, right? Because late September, McGuire goes into Florida and just annihilates the Marlins. I think he had like four or five home runs in that series to get up to like 59. Mm -hmm. And I'm laughing because I'm watching this and they have the tarp covered in the entire outfield because the Marlins draw, you know, even back then they were drawing a few thousand people. But I'm just laughing because you always hear this argument about how baseball can't be in Miami, like it's not a baseball market. Well, what happened when Mark McGuire came to town? Yeah. They sold the shit out of that stadium. And then you start thinking about like 97, well, they, they were a playoff team, sold, the, they sold out every night during that run. 2003, they were a playoff team, sold out every night during that run. It, the Marlins haven't had anything to cheer about except Mark McGuire challenging the home run record and those two World Series runs because they've only had one other 500 season in their existence. And they've never been to the playoffs back-to-back and they've never won a division. So that just, it cracked me up. Like you could see it right there. And like you, if there's anything remotely interesting for Marlins fans, they will show up. And that's literally been what their that franchise's problem has been since the distance. Well, luckily the captain is there to save that franchise. So yeah, due to, if there's ever baseball again, that may very well happen. I think Derek Jeter's on the right track. You know, there was a moment that I thought was great, which I never heard about or saw until yesterday, which was I can't recall the pitcher, the pitcher that gave up the 61st home run. Yeah. And they're playing and dude is look like they, they, the camera pans right to him when Sosa comes down from, from uh, right field and hugs McGuire and the pitcher's like, are you fucking kidding me dude? Just, they just hit a home run. <laughs> this is our rival and you're sitting here hugging him. His face was priceless, man. Yeah. And Leon mentioned Giancarlo chasing 60 cause he did it 59. It was a little different for me because he didn't realistically have a shot at breaking 60 like he just got to 59 it's not like he was there in mid-September and everyone's coming to the games like they never it may be affected three or four games of the season and uh I don't think anyone cared that much because 60 is no longer the record even though I'd still think it was really cool if someone did hit 60. Yeah I think if they wanted to have a documentary on the two of them they could have done better yeah. Um, I think they would have been better having a documentary on the entire 98 season of baseball because you had so many wonderful things that happened and so many newsworthy things. They didn't even touch on the two best teams in baseball. No, Yankees were just fodder for giving up home runs on just terrible pitches, by the way. Like 90% of those home runs were fastballs right down the middle. They didn't give the Padres any love. They didn't give the Yankees any love. The Yankees went on – that's widely considered the greatest single-season team, you know, yeah. not the 27 Yankees, but – like, come on, they, they dropped the ball with that documentary, I think. Yeah, props for interviewing Brady Anderson, though, about steroids. That that was a nice touch. <laughs> what did he, he said something funny, too, like, uh, basically, I can take as many as I want. It won't affect me. Like, yeah. no, no shit. Yeah, meanwhile, you look, you, meanwhile, you look at his, uh, you know, his, his numbers, and he had that one year that just everything ballooned. Yeah. And Brian stopped coming after Henry. Traxel gave up his 62nd, not the 61st. Unless he gave up both, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> 62nd, okay, guys? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I agree with you. It, it, 
it missed the mark largely. It was fun to see some of those home runs again and, and whatnot. But other than nostalgia, this was basically to me like a commercial for MLB being like, hey, remember when we used to be like good and marketable? Remember when there was baseball? <laughs> Here it is. Because it closed a series of documentaries that have been so great up until that point. Yeah. Like was rolling every Sunday with these documentaries for the last two months. And then they just, their dong has been deflated. Yeah, and this is what baseball has done to me. I'm watching this documentary. It should be a celebratory thing about one of the greatest years we've ever witnessed. And instead, I'm seeing Bill DeWitt, the Cardinals owner, talk about how every single night they were selling out when McGuire was there. And I'm like, oh, shit, where'd all that money go? <laughs> Mr. It's not very profitable, talking about all the profits he made off of McGuire, by the way, who's a player, <laughs> bringing everyone to, to make money for him. Yeah, there was a lot of tone-deaf moments in that documentary. I know it was filmed and put together before all of this uh, was going on, but pretty telling, pretty telling. Yeah, so that was that. Off to a good start here. Uh, the other thing that happened over the weekend was the Yankee, we'll call it scandal, with a question mark. Um, we still don't exactly know what it is, <laughs> but let's, let's back it up. I've told, you know, we've both been very vocal about this in baseball life. Um, here's what we know so far. What we know is that in 2017, uh, MLB ran an investigation on the Red Sox and found that they had been using Apple Watches to send decoded signals into the dugout or from the dugout in some way to a runner on second base who would then relay it to the batter uh, if they didn't change their signs and however long it took for that to happen, and, and then the hitter would theoretically know what's coming, uh, maybe even location, I have no idea. They also simultaneously ran an investigation on the Yankees because when the Red Sox were found guilty of that and fined, because at the time it wasn't illegal, mm -hmm. it was just, uh, and MLB actually changed the rule for 2017 to say, by the way, if you're decoding signals in the replay room, you can't send that onto the field. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. Yeah, and that was effective for the 2017 season. Um, the Red Sox were fine, told not to do it again. The Red Sox then were like, hey, by the way, the Yankees are doing the same thing. <laughs> you should investigate them too. So MLB did that. And uh, Red Sox thought that the Yankees were using the Yes cameras, their regional network, in some way to, to decode signals and then send it to the players uh, and they'd know what the signs were. MLB found that that was not the case. There was no evidence of that. Um, so the Yankees were not fined for that. But in that investigation, they found that Larry Rothschild had since been discovered. During the 2016 season, it's since been discovered. Called using the bullpen phone to the replay room and asked whether a pitch was a ball or a strike. And Wait, he, before, you, before you continue, Again, what season was that? 2016. 2016, before there was any policy. Yes, so this is before any of it's a rule. Kind of like the steroid thing with McGuire. Like when they found his steroids, it wasn't illegal. That's why he was never suspended. Um, whereas Ryan Braun, when he was found guilty, it was illegal. That's why he was suspended. Or uh, what should have been. So, <laughs> um, or A-Rod, I guess is the better example. So we go back to that. So in 2016, Larry Rothschild made a call using the bullpen phone to the replay room to ask if a prior pitch on replay was a ball or a strike. You're not allowed to do that because you're not allowed to use electronics between the dugout and the, the replay room. Right. So the Yankees were fined for that. That showed up in the investigation. This is the very same investigation then that went to court 
because DraftKings had some plaintiffs who were suing uh, over their gambling results because they felt that once the Astros scandal came out, uh, any team who had this sort of come to light was therefore cheating them out of money because the results weren't valid because they were cheating. Right. So that's where we are present day. That's everything that we know for sure. Now, allegedly, in this investigation MLB ran, some of it was redacted, is what I understand. Correct. Now, depending on what you've read over the weekend and into today, um, numerous sources range from not knowing what is said, what else is said in the letter. That doesn't come to light. Like the plaintiffs didn't come to come to it and be and were like, Yankees definitely cheated. Here, the information's in there. They just have to uncover it. All they said was, "There's more to the investigation that wasn't that never saw the light of day." We have a right to know what that says. Right. And then the Yankees said that could cause harm to our organization. We don't want to do that. That's where they fucked up. Yeah, they did. It, it was not a smart. It's the uh, I just recently learned this term with um, God. What's her name? The uh, Bette Midler syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever heard of this? I think no. it's Bette Midler. She, in 2003, her house leaked on the internet. She didn't want anyone to know her, 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 her where she lived. Uh-huh. And in an effort to be like, I want to be private, like no one should know where I live, that made the populace go and find out where she lived and leak it all over the internet. Because when you tell people they don't, that they shouldn't know something or they can't know something, then they want to know it more. Right. That's what the Yankees did here. They said that, could, that, that causes harm to us. If they said nothing, then this would have... Very story. Nothing. It would be. A, it wouldn't be a story. Right. But instead, the Yankees said that could cause harm to us. Now everyone's like, "Holy shit! There must be a smoking gun here. There must be something major that's going to be in this investigation." But if you look at the reporters and what they've said since, the ones who allegedly are in the know, they said it's really not. Con- there's nothing that hasn't been said. And what has what has been said is Mark Teixeira did admit during the 2016 season that uh, that the Yankees were using the replay room in the exact way described, that they were decoding signals. He also said most teams did it. And if you've ever talked to me about this topic, and I know like Felipe and Brett and Sean Flannery all have, I've said, I do believe most teams were decoding signals because it wasn't illegal before 2017, using the replay room, not in real time. They weren't using any sort of relay system to the batter, but they were decoding signals. And if those signals were still the same when a runner got to second base, then they could decode it. I do believe that, and I think most teams did it because that's just an, an advantage that you can use. Uh, I don't think it's ethically right, and I'm glad MLB made a rule against it, but at the time, that rule didn't exist. What the Astros did was, when it did exist, not only did they do that, but they did it in real time, and they used a relay system into the dugout to the batter's box in real time, so every awesome. single batter that came up knew what pitch was coming. They used multiple systems. They changed. Yeah, and they changed it. Every time. <laughs> Yes, and they changed it as as they as people became wise to them. So that's the main difference here is that the Astros did it when it was illegal and they took it to like a tenth degree higher. So, and the Red Sox were somewhere in between. So I have a question for you. Yeah. What happens when this came out Saturday? How how did the uh, the community act? Oh, like like the Yankees had just done what the Astros did, like times ten. I mean, I expected that. This is how my day went, by the way, on Saturday. I wake up to two different conversations about the Yankees cheating with no context. I just like wake up, and I've got some Boston friends in the group 
sending me a message on Facebook being like, do you hear about the Yankees cheating scandal? I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and then I asked, I was like, is it about the bullpen phone? Because it's seriously been rehashed three or four times already. And uh, so then I start seeing this. And then, you know, I post about it in the group because it is newsworthy and I know it's going to be discussed anyway. So I might as well give my two cents on it. And then, of course, there's like three other of the exact same posts afterwards. Like 10. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then and the entire day, just like the Astro scandal. So it was, like, it was like a, a classroom full of high school teenage boys. And like a really hot teacher came in, they were just like, oh. We yeah, got and, and this is what every single non-Yankee fan has been waiting for, is anything to draw the Yankees. Because since the Astro scandal happened, everyone has wanted to draw the Yankees into it. And I think it's part because it's the Yankees and everyone hates them, and I understand that. But it's also part because if you can prove the Yankees were doing the same thing the Astros were doing, well, then that 2017 title is a little more legitimate because that's who they beat. But for now, the Yankees, and the Yankees get to play the victim. That's exactly it. It's partly because the Yankees were a victim in it. Right. No and, and that makes, you can tell, it makes fans so angry that Yankee fans have something legitimate to be upset about. And we can go and claim we should have been in the World Series that year because we should have. And we should have played the Dodgers who also got screwed. And the Yankees and Dodgers are the two teams who are hated the most right now in MLB, whether it be because they spend the most money or whether it be because the Dodgers are in the World Series twice, whether it be because the Yankees have always been hated. And the best part of it to me was you had uh, Carlos Correa. Who else was it? It was Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, and then he deleted it like a little bitch. He's such he a bitch, yeah. And I forgot who the third player was. Reddick, uh, McCullers was definitely one of them. Uh, and I think Reddick, Reddick. It was Reddick, too. They yes. all, of course, put the sarcastic posts. And Bregman, like the bitch that he is, deletes his. Yeah. And like five hours later, an article dropped saying... This is a nothing burger. There's nothing here. Relax. Right. Which I go on Twitter and then I, you know, I troll them. Of course, yeah. And what cracks me up about that response is it shows a lot to me about where the Astros players' heads are at. They're not in the remorseful phase. And granted, we haven't played a single game since the scandal broke. Mm -hmm. They're not in a remorseful phase and they never were, despite their little shitty PR campaign. Uh, they were waiting just to be off the hot seat. And then they, rather than be like humble about it, they immediately went into attack mode on Aaron Judge, who by the way, wasn't on, he was on the 2016 team for like a hundred at bats in August and September. I don't know why you're coming after, like go after Brett Gardner. He was actually on the roster. Yeah. <laughs> there was two things that bothered me. Um, one, I'm never going to defend Alex Cora because he's not a likable guy if you're a Yankee fan. Right. Or like I, breathing human. I like Alex and Joey Cora when it comes to international baseball because they run and coach the Puerto Rican team for the World Baseball Classic. And you cannot deny that they're both really good coaches and managers. With that said, he came out over the weekend and said what we all knew, which is him and Beltran are unfairly taking the blame for everything and plays were involved which pretty much he tells you he's also disgusted that the players have taken no culpability. Right. Which also acknowledges that everyone was involved in that. Right. You know. well, right. And in the middle of all that, he admitted it, which he'd never done before, but he finally said, yeah, it was wrong. I knew what I was doing. I knew I was doing wrong, but it wasn't a two man show. Right. Meaning him and Beltran. Um, the other thing that came out of it to me, and I just lost my train of thought <laughs> Jesus Christ. I looked at something and I lost my train of thought. 
We'll go on. We'll just yeah. We'll we'll come back to it. I mean, I think when you unwrap all of this, it's either going to be absolutely nothing, or it's going to be something that probably was as bad or less bad than the Red Sox. That's all you're going to get out of this scandal, and that's a that's a guarantee. By the way, that's not me like just inserting my opinion there. It has to be not as bad as the Red Sox because when they ran that investigation, the Yankees weren't punished for anything. Correct. And it was run at the same time as the Red Sox. So it can't be as bad as the Red Sox. And it's definitely not as bad as the Astros. So whatever you are getting excited about, it's just not, it's not going to happen. But I'm sure this story, whenever it does, because it looks like the Yankees will lose that case. They are going to release the letter, which I say, please do. I, I'd rather right, I, I want them to release the letter because it'll just, it should signify that there's nothing there. They shouldn't cry and bitch and moan. And the focus should be on the Astros when it comes to the cheating conversation. If this was the 2016 Padres, it's a complete non-story and it probably doesn't make the media. Yeah. But because it's the 2016 Yankees, who by the way, did not make the playoffs, weren't relevant, didn't win anything like the Astros did, like the Red Sox did. It can be potentially a major story about nothing. (laughs) And that's what we're looking at here. And by the way, the collateral damage of this is next to nothing. Joe Girardi's managing the Phillies, doesn't affect the Yankees. Nobody on the Yankees now was on that team except Brett Gardner, who's in a walk year. And parts of Aaron Hick, Aaron Hicks, Aaron Judge, and I think are all just Chapman because he got traded later that year to the Cubs. So, I like that name for Aaron Hicks when he's injured, by the way. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can't punish players. That precedent was set at the, with the Astros. So literally the only one who could possibly be harmed by this is Joe Girardi, and he's managing the Phillies. Unless by some miracle something did happen and they blame Aaron Boone and he is fired, and then I'm okay with that. Yeah, I was saying if this gets man, if, if the scandal's good enough that it gets Manfred fired for covering it up and Aaron Boone fired just as retaliation – this is the greatest scandal in Yankee history, in my mind. <laughs> so I remember what I was going to say before, which was kind of a segue to our next um, thing, was with Alex Porras saying what he did, he pretty much solidified what a lot of people have been saying, which is you dropped the ball on this scandal. The punishments weren't um, harsh enough. You let the people who actually cheat get away with it. Right. And yeah. it's just another example of, how shitty of a commissioner Rob Manfred has been since the day he's taken the job. I'm glad you said that. Much like the Houston Astros, that is our buzzer into the next subway, into our next, into our next topic. Fuck you, Randy. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's talk about Rob Manfred. My favorite topic, if you weren't listening before and you just joined us, you're going to like this. I was doing some research, Henry, over the weekend, which is always a dangerous precedent. And I wanted to look into Rob Manfred's actual legacy to this point. And Mm -hmm. in case you didn't know, and I couldn't remember off the top of my head, Rob Manfred was appointed in December of 2014. He took over before the 2015 season. So we now have about a five-year sample size as to Rob Manfred's time as commissioner. Before you go into his time as commissioner, you have to understand that he's worked for so many years under Bud Seeley. Yeah, and that's stuff I didn't know. He, I think since 1987, has worked in MLB. Mm-hmm. Um, he was essentially Bud Selig's pit bull. Correct. He handled all the labor negotiations. Um, he 
was there, I believe, heavily involved in the 94 strike. I think he handled all of labor negotiations after that. He was like the point man for it. On paper, he was the perfect selection. He was the yes, perfect he, he was the COO, which hadn't existed for a number of years. Uh, Seelig appointed it to him. He was a COO, and then he got appointed to uh, commissioner when Seelig retired for the third time. So that brings us into the Manford legacy, which again started 2015. Now let's get. I have a hell of a comparison. I think I've even said it before. It's almost like Seelig was Obama. <laughs> he, he was like people understood what he was doing. They didn't agree with everything, but he handed this trajectory of wonderful uh, finances and, and this trajectory of, of all these wonderful things happening to the next person who just fucked it all up. That's a great analogy because everyone when Obama was in office is like, he's a shitty president. Like <laughs> we have so many problems in this country, like nothing, a celebrity TV host could be better. And admittedly, when Rob Manfred took over for C-League, uh, I was excited. And the main reason, anyone who knows me is going to find this very predictable. The main reason I was excited Manfred was taking over for C-League was he was young. Yeah. And uh, C-League to me was an old man. I thought he was a little out of touch. Uh, baseball was, you know, is always a little archaic compared to the other sports. They're always a little behind the eight ball. And, uh, and I thought that Manfred could add some spice into the game and, and make things more marketable, make things better. So I mean, it made all the sense in the world. He's like you said, he's this young guy who already had equity with both the owners and the players who saw the good that Manfred did. And I mean, uh, Seelig did and saw the bad. Perfect choice. By the way, Renee, and I don't know if we'll get to it on this show. He wants to know why Yankee fans don't like Aaron Boone. Uh, we'd have to schedule like a three hour yeah. podcast for that one. I promise you, Renee, way back when in March, when I thought there would be baseball, we'll say February more realistically, uh, when I thought there'd be, you know, a, a season of baseball, we would have spent many, many nights on Monday talking about Aaron Boone and why we hate him. But since we haven't had a game yet where we can point these things out, we haven't been able to. But we promise you at some point as you watch Dong City, we will get to why we hate Aaron Boone. It will come up at some point, maybe in this scandal, if he's able to get fired from it. And, and Renee, it's pretty bad because Vince is the kind of fan, Randy, Back me up on this. Vince is the kind of fan that will defend everything the team does, no matter how blatantly wrong <laughs> or fucked up it is or dumb. And he hates Aaron Boone. And he loved the choice at the beginning. The only thing worse than that is when he's talking Giants, and you can't talk to Vince about the Giants because he's the worst football fan there is. I will say this. Piggybacking on that. Pat Shermer was my third choice. Aaron Boone was my third choice. I wanted, uh, I, I really wanted Beltran. If we were, we, we agreed on the top two choices for the Yankees. Yes. I, I will say that. Yeah. My thought was if you weren't going to have a manager who had managed before, it should be Beltran. It made yeah. more sense. In hindsight, I guess it worked out. We didn't take him, but it made more sense. Uh, we ended up with Boone. We'll get more on Boone later. But you well, bring up another. No, wait. If, you know, us not taking Beltran probably changed everything. Yeah, you're right. Had we taken Beltran, you know, he's not involved in the scandal. He's not tainted, and he's managing with the Yankees. And you know. no, you're right, because Girardi. Well, Beltran would have been would have still been on the 2017 Astros as a player. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, 
it, you bring up that part of my personality though, and it's good to bring up because when Manfred took over, like I said, I was, I was excited. Uh, I didn't have a first choice. I'm not in the business of like having a short list of MLB commissioners, but uh, I trusted that Manfred had the credentials, unlike some other things there where I do it rank people. Um, here, Henry, <laughs> I dug this up and this cracks me up right off the bat. When Rob Manford took over for commissioner, this was his basically mission statement when he took over. These were the things he wanted to focus on as commissioner. Youth outreach, embracing technology, quickening the pace of play, strengthening player relations, and creating a more unified business operation. I shit you not, those are legitimately the words <laughs> that came out of his mouth. And we'll start with the good. Let's start with the good with, with Rob Manford. As it relates to pace of play, uh, he did cut down time on commercial breaks. Mm -hmm. there, are less, there are less time between innings when it comes to commercial breaks. He cut out some ads. Uh, he did implement a rule. We very rarely notice it, but forcing batters in the batter's box, they can't step out uh, as often as they used to. So the Nomar Garcia Paras of the world would have to go through their routine quicker. He also, and this one is a legitimate rule, limited the mound visits, which I forgot that was him. Uh, and that, I think, is a good rule. I, you know, it is, there's no downside to it. It's worked pretty well. The Yadi and Molina rule, as I call it. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, the Tony La Russa rule. So those were the good things. So as it relates to pace of play, he, he really has made improvements. Uh, I think there's a lot more improvements he can make, but he had made headway there. Youth outreach, I... I mean, you look at MLB, well, here, these are the flaws, and we can dissect each of them. This is, the, this is my list that I made of his flaws, and it relates to all of those mission statements, and I'll read them one by one, and then we'll talk about them. Uh, he didn't admit to using juiced balls, which I think we all pretty much know we use, they used juiced balls and broke home run records back-to-back -back years. Which completely negates the pace of play argument. Right, because circling the bases takes time. Uh, he did not do anything to address the three outcome, three outcome sport that this has turned into, walk, strikeouts, home runs, to Henry's mm -hmm. point. So in that sense, pace of play has not been helped at all. The pitch clock still isn't in the majors. None of that happened. We still have local blackouts. This is particularly effective in where I live, uh, in Central Florida with the Rays. Routinely, they get blacked out locally because there's just no demand for it. So they, you can't grow a fan base if you can't watch your own team in your own market. Um, and if you have MLB TV like I do, since I'm a Yankee fan living in Florida, it's even worse because if they're playing the Rays and I don't have the Rays network, then I can't watch the Yankees either unless I steal it, which I do. So screw you, MLB. Then we've got um, – it was obvious now that we know whether the Yankees did it, whether the Brewers did it, the Dodgers did it, or whatever. Teams were decoding signs starting as early as 2015 which is when Manfred came into office. So Manfred literally came into office and this was the start of the problem. It wasn't addressed until this past winter, yep. really, because the, he fined the Red Sox an undisclosed amount. It was something largely swept, swept under the carpet. Eventually teams, as they will do, became so sophisticated with how they were cheating, it became the Houston Astros. Now he's got two World Series on his hands that fans widely deem tainted because he just didn't address this for four years in public. So that's another one. Core marketing. Again, Mike Trout, boring as shit, but MLB doesn't do him any favors. <laughs> he, is, he is nowhere to be seen as the greatest player we'll probably see this century for a, a long time. There's a lot of players that do marketing with the youth than the actual league themselves. I know CC Sabathia 
Curtis yeah. Granderson. There's a lot of players that individually do a lot of great work with the youth. Right. Um, baseball sucks at it. I always thought they should. You know how NFL has uh, NFL play? Mm-hmm. I always thought baseball should have something similar where they have inner city youth leagues sponsored by the league. It just makes too much sense, but yeah. they, they drop the ball left and right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, poor marketing all the way around. I mean, there's, there's plenty more to, to take the skin off the bone on that one, but we'll leave it at that. The player part of that is bad, but also the entire sport, I think is just shitty marketing. Uh, he destroyed the players in 2016 CBA, which again, you'll, you've got the people who are like, well, the commissioner's job is to get the owners as much money as possible. Granted, but when you do things like destroy, and I mean, he destroyed the players and he basically put a salary cap on baseball, unglorified salary cap. Um, and did that not, did not address service time, which was a big thing that the players wanted addressed. Yeah. And now, and he put the luxury tax penalties severe enough where teams just simply will not spend money every year. And what that caused was the glacial winter of 2018 when no one was getting paid anything. And the guys who were didn't get paid till like mid March, like Machado and Harper. Um, and that has all resonated in what we have today, which is a complete standstill because the players are so fed up with being screwed out of money in part because of what Manfred did in 2016, that we now may not have baseball in 2020 and we may not have baseball in 2022 because of it. So that's another one. The Astros scandal. We've talked about this at length. He dropped the ball left and right on the Astros scandal, starting with how long it took to run the investigation no players were – he set the precedent that no players are going to be punished for this type of cheating. He didn't punish the organization nearly enough. They showed no remorse as a result of it because no one was getting in trouble. And he had enough evidence through emails and everything else structurally throughout that organization. He didn't even need to involve player testimonials and give them immunity and needed it anyway. You left something out. Well, I've got another, like, seven things on the list, but what? He called the most prized possession – Oh, that's on here. Yes. He called the, that, that's the very next point. He called the World Series trophy in an effort to downplay the Astros scandal. He called the World Series trophy a piece of metal, which again, really bad today when we're probably not going to have a World Series in 2020. Like that looks like an indication from the owners as to what they really think about the competitive spirit of this sport, which is I don't think much of it. Good time. The Sox scandal. Now, again, the Sox punishment, I don't think, was really that off target because they really didn't, in, in terms of what the Astros did, the Sox didn't do nearly as much. They did right. probably what many, many teams are doing, and I've always maintained that. Right, I just wanted the harsher punishment because it was the Red Sox, nothing else. Right, yeah, I'm going to give it shit anyway, but that scandal <laughs> took five months to investigate, and it was basically nothing. It was one guy that took the fall, and Alex Coro took the fall for Houston, not Boston. One guy took the fall for that, and they lost, like, a second-round draft pick. And that took until the actual season would have started to run that investigation. So he dropped the ball on that. 2017 and 2018 championships. Now, some 2017 definitely tainted. Some are going to consider 2018 tainted. A lot of players said they felt that the Astros were cheating into 19. Right. Yeah. Um if the can you again? If the Astros had won in 2019, many would consider that World Series tainted. Mm-hmm. After uh, and this is by the way, this is the part that's so crazy. Like I said, Manfred came in in 2015. Well, who won the World Series in 2015? The small market Royals over the Mets. By the way, a great start for any commissioner when you have the sm- one of the smallest markets win a World Series. You can be like, look at our parity right off yep. the bat. 
What happens in 2016? The freaking Cubs win the World Series. The easiest marketable World Series maybe in the last 100 years. You get those two World Series falling into your lap, and it was against the Indians who had their own curse going on. You had the two best World Series right off the bat to begin your tenure, and he's dropped the ball every single year since. It's embarrassing. Not to mention you've had the loaded Dodgers in the next two World Series. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you've got uh, – he dropped the ball on the COVID negotiations, as we know, and we're going to get even more into detail to finish off the show when we get into now where it's at, which is it makes him look even worse. But he's dropped the ball – this, these negotiations, by the way, started in March. We're in mid-June, and it was reported earlier today that they didn't even have the safety aspects of this worked out, let alone the payment aspects. It so, wasn't that negotiations started in March. They had a deal in March. March 26th, yeah. they had a deal, a handshake deal that they agreed upon, how things will work out, how folks would be paid, and both sides left the table saying, we have a deal in place. Yeah, no contingency plan, but they had wow. a deal in place. And then in the three months since, they have worked out literally zero in terms of progress on anything. And we figured the safety part, like they seem to be in agreement on that, but they didn't actually agree to anything. So you've still got that up in the air. He crippled the minor leagues. This gets largely swept under the rug. He absolutely just decimated the minor leagues. People love minor league baseball. Teams love minor league players. They've lost, I forget how, 40 teams he cut this year. Uh, not to mention the draft, which we'll get to in a second. Five rounds this year. That was an owner ploy so they can save some money. Obliterated the draft so that there's more free agents to sign for no money. Yep, 35 rounds roughly of the draft eliminated. So top to bottom, the minor leagues get destroyed. Yeah, you have to sign for $20,000 if your fifth-round pick or if your sixth-round pick would have been, you know, 10 times that in a normal year. And then he's got the replay – which I am not against entirely, but it takes forever. You haven't improved the replay system at all. That's part of pace of play. And now we have this situation, and I didn't even have this on the list, 2020 may not have baseball. 2022 almost certainly is not going to have baseball. And that falls on Manfred, who, by the way, is signed through 2024 as commissioner. So that's Rob Manfred's legacy right now. It's not pretty. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Henry? This is what I want to add to that. <laughs> I mean, but it is. For Rob Manford, his tenure, and everything he's done as a commissioner so far. If you're listening to us on audio, you need the YouTube edition for what I'm doing right now. <laughs> so there you go. That's Rob Manford's legacy. Every step of the way, he's dropped the ball in every capacity and every aspect of his mission statement. Youth outreach sucks. Embracing technology sucks. Quickening the pace of play, mediocre. Strengthening player relations, absolutely decimated, destroyed. And created a more unified business operation. There's no unity in the business operation because there's no business operation. I was across the board. Across the board failure. I would, I would actually give him an F if I had to grade his first five years as commissioner. He gets the L. So... That's Rob Manfred, which we mentioned the draft recap. We can head into that now. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot. I'll be honest with you. I have some thoughts on it. I think there were some winners and some losers. It, it, and I'll preface all of it, Henry, before I let you, you know, before you come in and, and give your thoughts, preface all of it by saying, I don't consider the MLB draft the same as like NBA or NFL 
because many, many, many of these players will never see the light of day. Whereas the NFL draft, like, yes, there are players who become superstars and whatnot, but like those guys will at least be in a training camp the following year. MLB, these guys may never make it out of a ball. Which some of these guys not getting a job because they cut the rounds down affects a lot of that because you have guys that may, you know, get drafted in round six through 10 who may make the leagues. There's a lot of players that are not drafted in the first round who make the baseball. And to make matters worse, now teams, and we saw this with the Red Sox first round pick, now teams had to manipulate their slots because they've only got five rounds. Uh, so you want, if you're a team who had all your picks, you want to make sure you sign all of them. And if you're a team who didn't have all your picks, you definitely want to make sure you sign the best of them. So they had to manipulate all sorts of shit there. Red Sox basically punted on their first round draft pick. And as a result of that, the Astros, who lost their first round draft pick, basically had a first round talent in the second round draft pick. I, I don't understand that. I, I think takeaway. it was so obvious that I think they'll address it immediately next year. They'll make some sort of rule. Something has to happen. What the Red Sox did essentially, for those who don't know, is they took a guy that wasn't even in the top 100 in anyone's top 100, whether it was Baseball America, MLB, ESPN, a lot of the guys that rank these guys, their pick wasn't in the top 100. They chose him. If you, By the way, he committed to a school. I forgot what school. Uh, if you choose a player in a draft and he commits to a school and he ends up going to school, you get that draft pick back in that same slot the next year. So since the Red Sox were essentially penalized their draft pick for next year, part of them, they just got one basically if he doesn't sign, which he won't sign. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no reason for him to sign. So yeah, that situation. Now, again, I, I follow prospects. I don't necessarily follow college players. I have some idea just based on what I read. And sometimes I see clips of them to give my professional thoughts on it. Um, there's other guys in this group who probably follow them a lot more than I do. But from what I can tell, I thought the Tigers had a fantastic draft. Uh, I thought the Marlins had another strong draft. And I, Henry and I have touched on this a few months ago. That Marlins farm system, to me, is something to be very excited about in the next year or two. Um, I think they've got a lot of deep talent. I think they were ranked like 10th last we checked, Henry. I don't know what they are after this draft. Wouldn't surprise me if they're a top five farm system by the end of next year. Maybe stock picks on fast. The Blue Jays got the steal of the top 10 picks in my mind. Uh, that guy could have gone top three. He went Jays like sixth, I think, or fifth. I can't remember. Um, that was a good pick. Uh, some guys I know who follow them, again, they were huge on him. I saw him his, some of his highlights. I thought he was, he was a very good pick by the Blue Jays. And they, too, have a very strong farm system. Um, the Yankees, I'll get my thoughts on. Not as sexy of a pick because they picked at 28. But uh, this kid that they got, the catcher, there's a few interesting things about it. Yeah, he's, he's a catcher like, mm-hmm. like Gary Sanchez right now. Um, kid can rake, which I am of the belief if you're taking a hitter from college in particular, I want him to have an advanced hitting profile. And what I mean by that is I want him to walk more than he strikes out. I don't want him to have a lot of holes in his swing. I want him to have a good approach at the plate. The stats are kind of secondary to me. I think Aaron Judge hit like 13 home runs when he was in college. Yeah. Um, I don't care if they had Mark McGuire's college stats when he had like 32 or whatever he did his senior year. 
Um, I more care about the approach. I want them to be like Andrew Benintendi coming out of college where everyone's like, that kid's going to be able to hit one day. And this kid has that profile. He walks more than he strikes out. He has some power. A lot of people think it's going to develop even more. And he's the lefty. So at a Yankee Stadium, if he makes it to the majors, he's going to develop definitely, like just by default. We've seen it with every single hitter who comes on that team. So I'm excited about that pick. He's a, he may not be a catcher because he's poor at receiving. He had an injury on his arm, uh, which the Yankees are confident he'll recover from, but his throwing ability is not there right now. Uh, now the Yankees did hire a catching guru this past winter, part of their coaching overhaul, who they believe can fix that. And there may be robot umps, which may help the, the receiving <laughs> because it may not matter how he's framing. He's the guy and he's also big. Yeah. And the other thing is his size. Now, personally, he ends up in first, he's athletic. So that's a, that's a thing that helps. You can put him probably in left. If not, he can go to first. And I think there may be a I was market for that in two years. I thought left and first base would be the minute they drafted him. Yeah. Everyone who knew Austin Wells said, hey, this kid, he's big. He's okay at catching. He can get better, but we don't project him to be a, you know, frontline catcher. Right. But his bat, his bat, he's a lefty bat. It's going to play well at the stadium. You know, that's what they went for. They went for the power and the production. I hate to say it. He's got a very Greg Bird profile to me. <laughs> Advanced hitter, good patience, doesn't strike out a lot. Lefty, smooth swing, might end up at first base. I don't know how good his defense will be at first, probably better than Bird's. Let's hope he can stay healthy, unlike most players in the organization. Greg so those, if your yeah. place is void, I'm all for it. I, <laughs> I'm not a void guy. So – uh, I thought the Mets did well. I don't really like their first-round pick, but I like kind of their other picks. Especially, I like, I, think the the I like what the Mets did, actually. I like where they went. I like where Tampa Bay went, but, again, it's Tampa Bay. and you, They always cry. I mean, Tampa Bay and do – do we need to mention Tampa Bay and L.A. killed the draft, Dodgers and Rays? Because they kill every draft. I just assume they kill it. If they don't, then that's a shock to me. Yeah. Uh, one pick that I'd like to highlight that I thought was – a great pick. I like this kid a lot. I did see him. Uh, Nick Gonzalez. He went to Pittsburgh. That kid yeah, is gonna Pirates be, did a nice job. That kid is going to be a star, I believe. I've seen a lot of reviews, and, I, and I'll say, too, I thought the Cubs did a, a fine job. Um, mm-hmm. Take it with a grain of salt. Like I said, I don't know these guys intimately. From what I can tell, they did a fine job. Now, the White Sox were an interesting case because – they basically drafted two guys, <laughs> and those two guys have enormous upside, but they, they had to essentially punt the rest of the draft to get them, or like supposedly to get them because we haven't guaranteed they're going to sign them. So that's an interesting strategy when you only have five rounds. You can get two guys who are like pretty much guaranteed to make the majors. That's a pretty interesting strategy, especially when you have the White Sox farm system, especially where, you're, where you are, where the White Sox are organizationally, which is they're on the cusp of competing. They've got a deep farm system. You can add two more pieces in that next generation. That's huge. So they, they did well. Um, like I said, it's, Baseball is harder than any other draft because every other sport, basketball, football, hockey, those guys can come and make an immediate impact. That doesn't happen in baseball. Right. If you're the cream of the crop, you're in the major leagues in year four of, you know, after being drafted. So, you know, these guys, there's a lot of progress to make. Um, that's why, you know, guys that go one, they, they often end up bust because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of transition. There are guys that are drafted as, second baseman and shortstop that get turned into pitchers when they go into the minor league. So 
baseball is not like any other sport when it comes to the draft. It's hit or miss. Yep. Uh, by the way, the other interesting thing about the Marlins, they took all pitchers. So that that was noteworthy to me. Um, the Angels. Yeah, one of the guys that they chose, actually, people think that he profiles enough to be up uh, 2020, but we may not have the season or, you know, 2021. A few, so. a few of those guys were projected to be in the majors the same year, which I thought, I found interesting. I think the Cardinals had one of those guys, too, which they almost always Max, feel like. Max Mayer, that was his name. Yes, yeah, that was their uh, their first pick. The Angels uh, had a guy like that, too. What's that? One of the Angels pick projected to kind of yeah, skyrocket. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, Angels, I thought, didn't know. Angels and Mariners, look, they got they got good ratings mm-hmm. on their draft. Mm-hmm. And the Mariners. I don't know who that is. Yeah, they got good ratings on their draft. Uh, it's a wait and see for me. I don't – here's the other thing about MLB drafts. A lot of it to me, unlike other sports, is how you develop them. And there's certain teams where I just d- straight up don't trust their player development. So, uh, like, the Orioles are one of them. I'll believe it when I see it with the Orioles. You can have them have the number one farm system. I'll still believe it when I see it because they just don't have a great history of developing talent, uh, especially pitchers, mainly pitchers, because they did have a nice little run there, I think, of hitters, mainly pitchers. I'll believe or it when, when I they, see it. Or when they do have talent, they get rid of them or assign them to ridiculous deals when they're trending downward. Yeah. Uh, like the Mariners, for example, all right, you drafted these guys. I could read anything I want. They're probably going to hit 30 home runs and hit 210. That's what Mariners hitters do. So until they don't do that, I don't care. Uh, you know, so that that's the draft to me. Uh, fun fun to talk about. If you really follow those guys, great. But there's so many variables with MLB when it comes to, to these guys. I'll, I'll start evaluating them when they're in, when they're in the minors because that I do follow. Um, and really, yeah, and really when they're in double A. <laughs> like, you know, I've got thoughts on A guys, A ball guys. When they're in double A, I'm like, all right, well, we, let's start projecting what we think this guy can be. I want to take a drive to Trenton and see these guys. I love double A baseball. Uh, yeah, I would, yeah. Uh, Trenton, if you've never been to Waterfront, it's not Waterfront Park anymore. Whatever their MC, or MC Hammer, Arm and Hammer Park, um, that's, a, that's a beautiful stadium, I think. We're in Trenton Thunder play. Definitely really make close. your trip there. It's really close to if you're if you're in a metro area. Yeah. If you're if you're ever in Greater Trenton, New Jersey, feel free to take a trip there and stop by Katmandu for a drink. Um so so that was the draft recap. I you know, I a bunch of teams probably did well for themselves. We'll see what it turns into. And I don't even want to get into how this work stoppage might stunt a lot of these guys to begin with as far as development goes. Yeah. Eduardo Perez actually put out a tweet saying that MLB essentially killed baseball in Puerto Rico. There was not one player drafted from Puerto Rico, which is like the first time in I don't know how many years that that's happened. Yeah, that is sad. Thank you for that uh, player outreach, Rob Manfred. Great job. So now we're on our last topic, and that is maybe the saddest topic of the night, and that is our current status of MLB. Um, we had a few updates, Henry, none of them particularly good. Uh, it looked uh, players basically folded on, on negotiating and with reason. Yeah, I don't said, blame them at all. What would you say? I said, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, I don't either. Ba- basically the players over the weekend were like, look, you haven't made us a single offer that makes any sort of sense. You're obviously not negotiating in good faith with us. We're done making offers. You want us to show up, we'll show up. We're going to file a grievance because you haven't done anything as far as negotiating goes. And we'll still play the games. We're going to fulfill our end of what we agreed to. You're not fulfilling your end of what you agreed to. 
and we're going to file a grievance for that. It'll be tied up in court, but we'll play. Just let us know when, when you want us to be there. Yeah, and I, owners, I don't get yes. Yeah, and the owners it, now yeah. finally realize that they're in a bad spot. It took all of this time, but I think they finally, and we talked about this very briefly before we got on here, the owners are finally realizing that they are probably going to lose this PR battle, which is really all they've cared about this entire time. They wanted they wanted the fans and everyone else to blame the players for there not being baseball, and they wanted to get off scot-free. Some of them wanted no season at all, and now we're starting to think that almost, you know, probably a lot of them wanted no season at all. I have, I have a slightly different take. Okay. I, I think MLB will win the public relations battle. I think there's a large enough subset of fans that blame players for not wanting to take less money to play baseball because that's how they see it. They don't want to take less to play baseball and entertain the rest of us. They do. Um, there is definitely a segment of fans, regardless of what you I think. It's a big segment too. I, I think where MLB will lose is in, is in court. And what you saw today is them saying, holy shit, we need to do something because we're going to lose in court. We're going to lose a lot of money. and There's going to be a lot of interest on that money. Well, so where are you now if you're the owners? Because if you're the owners now, you are now getting zero revenue because you are the ones who are going to say we're not going to have a season because the players won't drop their grievance. And you're going to try and blame the players for not dropping your grievance. But you are ultimately deciding there's not a season because the players gave you the keys to the Jeep. They said, tell us how many games you want to pay us. That's how many games we'll play. Uh, it's the owners who are now going to have to say no to that. And then on top of that, you're going to have no revenue because of it. And then you still have to pay the players $170 million. So now I, I don't know what they accomplished here. Well, right before we went on the air, there was a tweet by Bill Shaken, who uh, I believe he writes for the Dodgers. And he covers the Dodgers and covers the Angels. Yeah, the California writer. And he writes, sources, in a letter today, MLB told the MLBPA there will be no 2020 season unless the players waive any legal claims against the league. That right there tells you everything you need to know. The players are shitting, the owners are shitting on themselves. They know they have no legal standing. They know they're going to take a major L in court. And now they're trying to get the players to play if they waive that. It's not yeah. going to happen. They're going to lose the court case. They're going to lose the revenue for the season that they could have had. They're going to lose the expanded playoff agreement because the players took that off the table once the uh, once there was no agreement. They're going to lose everything. And they're, they're definitely going to lose some fans. Yeah. yeah, all leverage is shifted, and I think the players have leverage for the first time in these negotiations. Yeah, so if you're listening and your next thought is, all the players have to drop the, the grievance because they need to play baseball. No, <laughs> I'm completely fine with them not doing that. They finally have the owners right where they want them. Yeah, Tony Clark, don't fuck this up. Yeah. Do this is get back for you. You can't take this out of court. Don't fuck it up. Right. They've got them right where they want them, which is, yeah. I mean, look, there's always a segment of the population that's going to say, uh, I would play for a million dollars. Or, you know, if my boss told me to go to work, I would. Like, there's always those mouth-breathing idiots who just think that MLB is just like any other ownership or any other company, and it's not. Uh, and as evidenced by the Mark McGuire documentary, we now know the power of one employee in MLB. And it, they weren't going to see Bill DeWitt swing, swing at balls. They are going to see Mark, De Mark McGuire. So we know the power of MLB. 
players. And now the players finally have the owners right where they want them, which is that they have a legal standing. Uh, whether they win that case or not, I have no idea. That's not the part of law that I study at all. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I sort of assume because of what Henry said that the owners now are like desperate for the players to drop this grievance. Players probably have a case. They're all, you know, they're not doing it over the legal fees. There's also one more thing that happened over the weekend, which was great. Uh, you know who Andrew Marshan is, right? Yes. He used to write for ESPN. He went over to the New York Post, and he's kind of become more like a tabloid writer than a sports writer. <laughs> but he broke a pretty big story this weekend that I'm sure the owners were flipping tables and using all kind of curse words and shit over the weekend. And that story was... MLB baseball just signed a billion dollar deal, billion with a B. MLB baseball signed a billion dollar deal, which is a 40% increase from their current deal with Turner Broadcasting to air games in the postseason. That's not the World Series. Which, by the way, if you had, I forget, I think it was ESPN, someone broke down the actual numbers they were arguing about. And it was like, I think 460 million was theoretically what this was all about. Yep. Yeah, they just got a billion dollars for playoffs that won't exist this year. And, uh, <laughs> and now they have to pay an additional 170 of the players anyway, whether it's baseball or not. And now they've got this legal court case because they didn't have the nerve to, to actually negotiate. Well, what, what so. kills me is that not, not only are they getting this influx of calves, this gives them more leverage when they go to Fox and say, hey, do you guys still want the World Series? you got to pay more money. Right. So, we, I mean, we knew this was the case. We knew that owners were going to have their avenues. They were going to make this money back. It was literally over one season. This wasn't a damning thing. It didn't have to become this. That's the saddest part of all if you're a fan of baseball. It never had to get this way. Now, COVID could do whatever it's going to do. There's a little bit of a, of a resurgence, especially in the South right now. But baseball has shot itself in the foot this entire season. Yeah. There could have very well been a 90 to 100 game season where almost everyone would consider it legitimate. They would have known that they did the best they could given what was going on in the world. And they would have, all they had to do is pay the players a prorated amount, take maybe a little bit of revenue losses for a year, and then come back next year. They would have been in good graces. They would have been able to negotiate after the 2021 season. And instead, because of owner's greed, there's probably no baseball this year. And because of this, there's probably no baseball after 2021 either. Dude, I'm sorry. That was great. But I have to interrupt you. To I just refreshed my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> what did you see? I just saw a tweet from Jason Kipnis. <laughs> it says, Dear Adam Silver, you up? MLB players. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh... It's not even a hidden – it's not even an inside joke anymore. Like, it, oh. the players know Rob Manfred's a disaster. We know Rob Manfred's a disaster. There isn't a single person – this isn't like Roger Goodell, who's just – like, every commissioner is a punching bag for their sport to a degree. But it's not that Rob Manfred's a punching bag. It's that everyone legitimately knows he's not qualified for this position. And that's sad. Baseball has become a laughing stock of the four major sports – I think uh, somebody should tell Trevor Bauer how to tweet about this situation and, and use Jason Kipnis as an example. What did Bauer did tweet about it, right? 
again, I can't take Bauer serious. When, when you don't advocate for free agency and you want to go your own way, I get it. I respect it. But when it comes to these things, shut the fuck up. Yeah. You, you can't have it both ways. Yeah. Um, but that was a great tweet from Jason Kipnis. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I sincerely hope everyone, I, if the players turn against Manfred and all of this, that's, that's a bonus. I mean, look, the, the guy's incompetent. There's no, there's no defense to it. You can't defend it. He can no longer leave this league. No, he can't. He's totally, totally, totally in over his head, incompetent for the job. It's the same way we felt. It's the same way you feel about like a coach or a manager who just doesn't know what they're doing, but he's that of MLB as a whole. This is the same idiot who a week ago said there was a 100% chance there'd be baseball. And today now he said, there's probably not going to be baseball. How do you as a commissioner of a sport come out and make that statement in the first place? Why would you say that? His exact quote. I can't tell you that I'm hundred percent certain that's going to happen. This is like a week away is like, come on. I don't even think it was a full week. It might've been five days. But you know, like, you know what, what, what killed me about this whole thing? And here's something else about Manfred and the owners that just irked the hell out of me. When the March, when the March 26 agreement was, was done and agreed to, the pay scale was approved, pro rate of salary, everything was already approved. Then the owners came back and said, hey, we don't recognize that agreement in March. Things have changed. Now, last week, rather, the owners are saying, hey, in that March agreement, you gave the commissioner unilateral authority to hit a nuclear option where he can make the schedule. So I'm like, wait, is there agreement from March? You can't say, hey, we want this from the agreement. We don't want this from the agreement. It doesn't make any sense. And then on t- yeah, owners were basically like, we'll pay you for half a season. That's reasonable in March. Then they were like, you know what? There's no fans. We need to rene- renegotiate this. By the That's way, if you don't it. agree to a, a renegotiation, we're just going to have you play a 48-game season and pay you for that. And then they're like... Wait, wait, wait. But, but that option that gave us the right to do so was in the same agreement that we don't want to recognize. Now. Right. Yeah. We're not going to recognize the, the negotiation that says that we'll pay you for half a season. But by the way, we are going to uphold the agreement that we can do a 48-game season. And then when the players are like, okay, we'll do a 48-game season, we're going to sue you over this. They're like, wait a minute. We're not going to do a 48-game season either unless you don't sue us over this. Like, it's just, it's like children negotiating. Yeah, I, I think if I'm the players, I, I would really, and this is just me speaking from business perspective and, and, you know, equal rights when it comes to all this shit. If I'm the players, I honestly say, guys, we have to, you know, dig our toes in and, and there may not be any baseball. Because whatever happens here will carry on to the CBA negotiations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't... I, I just don't – I don't know how you come back from this. I really don't. Unless you're going to tell me in 2025 someone's going to hit 75 home runs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that worked the first time. I, there aren't many things. Once you lose these fans to other sports and they, and they get the bug for other sports, they, they don't tend to come back. That's, I think, what we saw 20 years ago with football and baseball. A lot of those baseball fans turned to football because baseball wasn't being played. They canceled the World Series. Yeah. And they never came back. <laughs> I, I don't know things like soccer hockey is getting more popular I mean you got a million sports now I don't know the financial ramifications of missing all the parts of two separate seasons 
I think um, somebody, one of their wonderful accountants need to say, hey, you guys need to get it together because you're going to lose a shitload of money. And this isn't even, this isn't even like 94 was bad enough because you lost the second half of the season. So there's no World Series. And then you lost the beginning of 95. This is much worse. You might lose all of 2020, which is an entire season, which has never happened. And then you might also lose all of 2022. I mean, that's, that's way worse. There might be two World Series missing. Here's the crazy part. I'll tell you what those billionaire pricks will be saying when they get together. How do we recoup revenues in 2023 when they come back? Oh, mm-hmm. they'll be dying to come back. Let's raise prices. Let's raise parking prices. Let's raise concession prices. The fans will pay for it because they always do. And those same fans that defend the owners and talk all that shit will bend over and get and take it right up the ass because they're idiots. Yeah. That, that is what will happen. I sincerely hope that 2021 is miserable from a revenue standpoint for MLB. As a baseball fan, I'm saying that. I hope that attendance just drops across the league, and I hope that viewership drops across the league because MLB deserves it. Top to bottom, the owners deserve it, Manfred deserves it, the sport deserves it. And then you're going to head into 2022, and you're going to lose even more. And they deserve it. This is the lesson that billionaire owners need. And I hope it's as bad as we think it's going to be. I really do. It's the only way to avoid this in the future. And there's going to be a time. Look, it's history, right? And it's not just American history. It's any history. 20 years from now, MLB will still exist. And people will forget that this type of stuff happened to a degree. Yeah, we'll be in our 50s and 60s telling our kids uh, all about it. But people are going to largely forget. But in the short term, this is bad. And it's going to be the biggest challenge MLB has faced since it started, which is saying a lot because we've got 130 years of history. Did you see the uh, while we were on, Tony Clark released a statement. And again, he's digging his heels in. Players are disgusted that after Rob Manfred unequivocally told players and fans that would be 100% Baseball in the 2020 season, he has decided to go back on his word and is now threatening to cancel the entire season. That's how you play. Yeah, Clark was taking a lot of flack, but this past week, I think he's turned a corner. Probably Um, listening to Scott Boris. Yeah, so James has a question for us here as we're wrapping up. Would you guys be surprised if leagues like the KBO tried to push their way into the mainstream U.S.-based TV contracts offers to big names players? Here's my thought on that, James, and it's not just the KBO. It's any sort of replacement league players, whatever. Um, they can try. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that you've already seen, like, ESPN still covers baseball. They've still got, you know, Sunday night football or Sunday night baseball or whatever. Um, but they've largely backed away from covering baseball as much as they used to. It's, it's pretty much a football basketball network. I think, I think TV networks know the baseball product they want and baseball can't afford to have a lesser product. No one's going to pay for, I don't think there's a, an, a, a, an avenue for that. Uh, replacement players didn't work in the past. No sort of XFL equivalent to MLB is going to work. You only want, major league product. I don't think baseball has the leverage to do anything else. Whereas XFL, you know, NFL might be able to have a second. It didn't work out because of COVID, but they might be able to have a spinoff type of league. I don't think MLB can do that. I don't think the demand is there. 
Yeah. Um, first of all, James, where the hell have you been? Welcome back to the group. Um, yes. Secondly, secondly, I agree with you. I, I think KBO would be foolish to try and do that because they've watered down their market. They have their market set. More people are watching them than ever. They had the cute little thing with the, the stuffed animals in the stands. Yeah, that was adorable. Got out of it. They have their own little stick. Don't fuck it up. Right. Don't mess yeah. it up. That sh- yeah, and Randy brings up a good point that I will say this: there's 30 teams, there's 25 man roster. That's 750 players in MLB. Those are the best 750 players on the planet right now. Right. Nothing's replacing that. Randy brings up a good point. Basketball and football could get away with something like that because college basketball and college football are extremely popular. College football is more popular than MLB. <laughs> if you if you want to get down to it, uh, hockey and baseball don't have that sort of advantage. Nobody watches minor league baseball. I don't even know if it's televised ninety five percent of the time, and nobody watches college hockey except me. <laughs> so they don't they don't have that sort of opportunity. Not only that, part of the problem is uh, colleges are still using aluminum bats. Right. It's a, yeah, it's a different well, transition is hard for them. That's what, you know, a lot of them takes a long time to transition to wood. Yeah. Uh, people want to see that. It's, it's not the same product. College football, and obviously there's a difference between playing college football and NFL, but largely the product is still as enjoyable for a lot of people if you have a college team. That was the biggest problem growing up in the North. It's not that I thought college football was bad. It's that I didn't have a team because no one in the Northeast cares about college football. Now that I moved to the South and my wife's a UCF graduate, I could start watching UCF and I got into Michigan for a long, you know, long story had to do with Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I, now I can follow Now I enjoy college football. I still don't watch it cause I don't love football enough to dedicate my entire weekend to it during football season. But that's why people don't get into college football, not cause of the product, but just cause they don't have a team where it's not their culture. Mm-hmm. Baseball is a different story. We don't get into watching AAA games because AAA games aren't enjoyable like MLB games are. That's the difference. Here's uh, Bryce, Bryce Harper's latest tweet. <laughs> What's good at Eagles with the hand wave emoji? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, hope, I hope they do this all year right. long. Right. The players need to troll them on social media. Yeah. Absolutely. So that I think has covered everything. I'm, I have to tell you our Dong city loyalists here, we appreciate you so much. I mean, these guys are sticking around an hour and 15 minute shows now, which is great. We love discussing baseball with you. We love that people are joining. I feel bad. Like we have to wrap it up because uh, I don't personally love having two hour podcasts, but people are still joining now. And a lot of the original people didn't leave. So we really appreciate that. We don't have to leave. We do whatever the fuck we want. If people ask questions and they want to ask, and we want to answer them, let them rock. Henry clearly is not the one who has to upload these videos to YouTube and see what the rendering is like. But uh, we can say, I mean, if you guys have questions right now that you want to ask, you want us to talk yeah, about. We'll, we'll give you two minutes. If you want questions, if you want yeah. us to answer some questions, throw them in the comment section and we'll keep going. I'm going to buy some time by doing two things. I'm going to turn on my, my night switch over here since we're getting into overtime here. And then I'm going to show you my Clemente shirt. So hang on. There you go. Yeah. As he gives us his bag. All right. We've got light. Here is the Clemente shirt that I ordered. 
as you can see, black that 21. Is beautiful. That is beautiful. That is the closest I'm going to get you to become Puerto Rican. <laughs> beautiful. Fit, fits my torso really well. Uh, as Henry and I were discussing, if you do buy one, ClementeMuseum.com, um, it, it run, it's a little thin, like the material. So if you're a bigger guy, and I've been on both sides of this fence, um, you may want to get, I would say, like a little bit of a bigger size, but like it fits me great, but it is a little thin, just as a heads up. You agree with that, Henry? I know you have like yeah. seven of them. I love them because of that fact. Um, it's so comfortable for the record. Very, yeah, they're very breathable. Um, so they are a little thin, you know, especially if you're in a warmer climate, they're definitely the shirt you want to wear. So yeah, I love them for that. Yeah, so we're getting some questions. <laughs> that was a great stall tactic by me. We do have a few questions here. Hope Eddie didn't leave. And Eddie, I expect from you every single show now to introduce yourself by saying Eddie's here. <laughs> uh, that's how all of our shows should start. Akil asks if, uh, who's the MVP if there is a season, which is kind of a funny concept because let's assume that there would be a 48-game season if there was a season, which they, today is the day where I'm calling it quits on that. But uh, if there was a season, it's kind of a funny concept. Like, who's your MVP through, like, the end of May, <laughs> basically? Um, it's a good question. I mean, it, it really could be anyone. I would say Yelich, I guess, would be my guess for the NL. Just because he's been the best player, I think, in the NL for the last year and a half. So why not? Uh, and Trout, because he wouldn't get hurt, is probably my AL pick. And he'd have Rendon before him, so I think his run production should be a little better. I'm going to go with – I'm going to stick with where I would have gone had we had a full season. And I think it's going to come across homerish, but I guarantee you – I promise you it isn't. I was going to go Giancarlo Stanton. I'm, I think if he was healthy, he would have come back, tore the cover off the ball, and he would have been MVP, and he needed that. So – Here's my conspiracy theory, not much of a conspiracy. And if Renee, you're still listening, here's some insight. I don't think Aaron Boone's going to play these guys enough <laughs> for them to even get an MVP award. In a, even in a, I think he'll bench guys more in a shorter season because they're going to play more games close closer to each other than he yeah. would over 162. I was going to go with I would go with Stanton and Cole. Um, I really thought the Yankees would dominate this season and win the World Series. Um, yeah, I, my World Series selection was the Yankees versus the Mets. I was really, I tell you, I was really high on the Mets this year. Um, I had Luis Castillo and Jacob Degrom kind of battling for Cy Young in the NL, and I, I kind of agree with the Yelich pick, but I would have probably went Bellinger. I had Yankees Dodgers. We might as well throw it all out there now. It doesn't matter much now. I had Yankees Dodgers. I thought this was my theory. The optimists in me, again, you guys make fun of me for my Yankee and Giants optimism. Um, the optimists in me felt with COVID, this was a great opportunity for baseball to come back, kind of heal the nation a little bit. We've had over, you know, 115,000 deaths at this point, which gets largely swept under the rug when we're talking just sports. I thought baseball was going to launch July. We were going to have a summer of baseball. They had a golden opportunity. They were going to make hand over fist as far as, you know, revenues in the future as a result. And I thought that we were going to get the World Series that we've deserved since 2017, and that is Yankees-Dodgers, because they really, to me, were the two best teams on paper. 
not just saying it as a Yankee fan. And for the record, I haven't picked the Yankees to win the World Series since like 2010. So I really thought we were going to get Yankees-Dodgers. Obviously, I would have picked the Yankees to win that. Um, at that point, all objectiveness goes, ob- objectivity goes out the window. I did not think Cole was going to win Cy Young, though. I would Who you would have gone with? It's a good question. I sadly have not thought these things through, even though I probably would have had to make a pick. I would have guessed it would have been someone like um, someone probably in the NL Central. So let's go with like a Clevenger type, maybe for uh, for the Indians. Obviously, great great organization. Oh, or someone on the A's could have made sense. I'm not sure who would be able to pitch a full season there. See, for me, I I think in my head I had this thing where summer baseball in New York was going to be wild. Yeah. And you had DeGrom carrying the Mets. You had Cole carrying the Yankees. These guys were going to be pitching insane. Papers would eat it up. MLB Network would eat it up. New York was going to run baseball in my eyes this summer. Um, and like I said, I, I was really high on the Mets this season particularly. Um, getting Jed Lowry back, who was there, Jacob, uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, I, I really like the Mets rotation. Um, I like some of their players coming back off of injury. Cespedes would have contributed something without falling off of a wild boar. But I was high on, I'm high on the Mets. Um, I, I like a Yankees-Mets World Series, and I just think DeGrom Cole, just day in, day out, each, every time each guy pitches, just putting my Yankees. I liked the Mets to not embarrass themselves this year. I probably would have had them as a wild card. Uh, I think the Braves would have won that division. I definitely would have had Louis Castillo as my NL Cy Young award winner. I tell anyone who lives, I mean, yeah, he's my favorite pitcher in baseball besides Cole. Um, and I thought he was going to have a, just a monster year this year. And I thought the Reds were going to be that other wild card more than likely because the Cardinals were probably going to win the central. Um the Mets, when they – I didn't think they'd reach the World Series only by proxy of having to be a wild card team to begin with. But once Noah went down for the year, I was like, I just don't see it. Uh, I don't love their bullpen. I do think it has much bigger upside than last year. And I do like their lineup, and I love their core. Um, I didn't love the rotation enough to think that it was going to get them through that NL, especially team, a team like the Dodgers, who is just great everywhere. I like their bullpen if everyone's healthy and everyone is pitching up to their potential. Yeah, which almost never happens right. for bullpens. Yeah, I think New York would have dominated the baseball talk all season. It would have been great just in the fact shorter season Yankees and Mets would have been in until the end. And, and New York's very much a baseball town when the, when the teams are good. Yeah. Um, so that would have been exciting. And again, it would have tightened the whole COVID thing. Like New York needs a win. It Ooh. needs a distraction. It's not getting it. Let's see Eddie's comment. Uh, so let's go down the list here. I'm still up at James. Did you see Nemo and Alonso supporting the MLBPA letter to the owners? I did not, but I'm glad they did it. And Pete Alonso, again, my little judge. I uh, I like Pete like I like Aaron. The uh, Randy asking, do you guys actually think they'll play 2021 in between two canceled seasons? The thoughts crossed my head that they wouldn't because you have to resolve this at some point. Um, but I think that contractually they probably would. And then it would just be, you know, darkness after that. One, I like Joe Sutton's question, possibility of MLB PA with Tony Clark being replaced due to ineffectiveness. I think I've been saying that for three, four straight weeks now on the show. 
that Tony Clark has been an embarrassment. Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. And we've talked about this in the in the comments um, of other threads. I, I don't love the way Tony Clark's handled it. I think if this ploy that the player, if this technique the players have used in the past week actually ends up working, I think he bought himself some leash. But otherwise, I don't think he has enough. I almost never think there's enough bite with these guys. The owner, the players always seem to have a guy who talks a big game and then gets run over by high-powered uh, owners and I didn't think Clark was an exception to that. We'll see how this goes. I'm just not sure uh, it could work out for him, though, now in light of where the owners are kind of strategically. It's in the corner. Not, not just from a negotiating standpoint with players and owners. I mean, like you said, Florida cases have spiked. I think it's four straight days of record cases of COVID. Yeah, and it's not just record. I, well, look, there's a lot of factors here. It's not just record cases. It's not just record cases. There are over 2,000 a day which even in April, we were at like 1,500, 1,600. So it's more than it was the first time around, except this time people are taking social distancing and stuff less seriously because we already had the taste of being out of a quarantine. Now, some of it is, I can only speak for Florida because I study these numbers left and right since I have to defend myself all the time. Part of it is that Sunday, for example, they tested 50,000 people in the day. So Florida testing is way up. That's why the deaths haven't skyrocketed yet but we'll see in a couple of weeks if they do. Um, but yeah, the cases are out of control. I mean, no matter how you slice it, if you're MLB, you have to be responsible with these players. Arizona and ML and Texas and Florida are not in the position they were in. in Texas has drastically as well. Yeah, all three. I and mean, they all opened up. Georgia too. I mean, they, all the states that opened up early are, are suffering for it. And we expected that to an extent, but that doesn't change the reality of the situation that you can't just throw players into that now. When you say we expected it, you mean people with common sense expected that. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to open up an area, obviously there's going to be more cases. That's how it works. And you have to open it at some point that you're not just going to eliminate COVID off the face of the earth. So I expected it to an extent, but to your point, it doesn't change the reality of the situation which is that you can't just throw players into the middle of a pandemic that's currently spiking. It also kills the idea that heat kills the coronavirus, which has always been a stupid idea. Right. Um, Randy, but yeah, the Nats were 19 and 30. Randy, my, my line of demarcation was 81 games. If they could get half a season in, I was fine with it. I think baseball is a, a too large of a sample size to begin with. Um, but 50 games is not a large enough sample size when baseball is constructed this way. So we can't use the the old adage. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's literally a sprint. Yeah. I don't, I don't look up Memorial day, unlike some other fan bases. And I'm like, all right, the season's pretty much figured out. Like it's not, you got to look up like maybe 4th of July. You start like being like, okay, let's see where everything's at. Um, that's more like an 80 game season, not 50. That would be interesting. Those players that have, uh, you know, uh, performance ties into their contracts you know if you hit 50 home runs you get this well is there language about proration in that so i've got all sorts of questions and i'm hoping these answers will come out like the luxury tax for example yankees and red sox in particular red sox were looking to reset the cap so they could spend big presumably next winter and the yankees were going over the cap so they can spend big this year to go all in well now you have a situation where how does that work do the red sox get to reset the cap do the Yankees go over the cap? Because if the Yankees don't go over the cap, then next winter when Ellsbury's money comes off, the rest of it, they can presumably lock up guys like DJ and Paxton and Tanaka if they wanted to. And the Red Sox won't be able to spend on guys like Paxton, Tanaka, and Trevor Bauer and all the other guys who are free agents. But 
if it goes the other way, Yankees are screwed. <laughs> they, they suffer the penalty and they didn't even get to compete. And the Red Sox get to reset the tax and you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. So we have to see how that plays out. Obviously, I have an idea as to how it should. I don't know how it is. So far, everything hasn't made sense to me. It's not just, like I said, it's not just them agreeing on money. Now there's other factors because those states are ballooning with cases. Yeah. I, yeah. Pay for them. yeah if you can't ensure a safe environment for the players, it's not worth it. Yeah, I don't, in Harlan, I don't think the news cycle flooding with other issues uh, has spared the public outrage of the players. I legitimately think there is less public outrage for players than there has been in the past because of the world as a whole right now. I think people for the, and I mentioned this last week, I think people as a, more, more people now are starting to realize how bad billionaires are for them. Yeah. Uh, and I think more people now are starting to hate large corporations, unlike how they did in the past. A lot of that is my generation because we just, you know, the whole socialism thing, like that's what that, <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> yeah. Like this whole Bernie movement. I think people now are a little more sensitive to the fact that they don't, the billionaires are greedy and they see that. Whereas before it was like millionaires and billionaires, they're all rich. What do we care? I think now there's an actual difference between a billionaire and a millionaire. People are starting to see that. I think that's why players haven't taken as much wrath this time around. Um, let's see what else is out. Yeah, so Noah's out for the year. We covered that. Otani for Cy Young. Eddie hasn't known me very long. I'm not going to cover that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, James saying with a real Diaz year, the Familia logo, but Tances on top open can be legit. Yeah, I, look, the Mets upside is there. Um, how often do teams reach it? Very rarely. Depends on how many garbage cans they have. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Arizona's doing worse than Florida. I'm with you there. James has joined us. He had an interesting pick, Darvish for NL Cy Young. He had a huge second half last year. It's not a terrible pick. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if he's going to build off of it, but it the you know the logic's there. Um, yeah. Big What's that? I think we're good. We gave them an extra 30 minutes. That's right. James, I'll throw this in a little humble brag. I uh, traded ooh, last year in fantasy. I acquired DJ LeMayhew and you Darvish down the stretch for like Matt Boyd and Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> and it turned out to be a massive win for me and I won the championship. So I'm very well aware of you Darvish second half. It was phenomenal. So, yeah, I think we're good. We gave you an extra 15 minutes there, hour and a half podcast. We'll try and feel it. I mean, when we came up with these podcasts, the sweet spot to me was 60 60 to 75 minutes, but we can go 60 to 90 if we continue getting the crowd that we do. Exactly. You guys dictate what we do. We own baseball. We do whatever the fuck we want. Right. Yeah, we'll we'll change things on the fly for you guys. So. When we get guys like this, we get a lot of uh, remarks in the comments. We get a lot of people going. A lot of viewership goes up. We'll go as long as they want to go. Right, yeah. What we'll, we're doing we'll, on a Monday we'll night. Keep talking as long as you're here. Yeah, we, you know, even The Bachelor's not airing anymore, so it's got nothing to do. Um, yeah, so Eddie, go same. home, Eddie. Go home, Eddie. Go home. <laughs> Eddie, I'm, I, you know, I, my vocal cords are getting a little older now. I don't know if I can do two hours straight anymore. Um, I'm not in my college conditioning days, but, uh, yeah, no, this was a good show. We'll stop it here. Um, we'll be back next week though. So definitely, you know, every 7 PM Monday nights, Eastern time, we are here and we'll be here to discuss baseball. If you guys at any point, we've mentioned this before, 
at any point during the week, there's something that pops up you want us to specifically discuss, you tag me or Henry or both of us and say it. We'll, we'll try and add it to the itinerary. We don't always add everything, um, but we will try and add it if it makes sense for however the show is developing. So we want this to be as much yours as ours. That was the point of these podcasts when we started them. And I think we've got a pretty good following here. So we've got a good thing going in a very bad situation for the sport. So continue to join us last week. This has been Vince Mercandetti and Henry Maldonado. We have uh, Wednesdays, our big podcast night, by the way, if you're not listening to the other podcasts, you should. The Step Back's on Wednesday nights. The Lab is on Wednesday nights. Um, I don't I don't have an update, I think, on Sean's show with Total Bases, which is a fantasy baseball show. Pod Jobbers Thursday nights, if you don't, if you haven't caught them. Who am I missing? I feel like there's one missing. The refreshed Audible. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, man, they're going to kill me. Yeah. They came back swinging, man. I loved it. Audible is a great – if you haven't heard Randy Hammond and, and Matt Bushnell break down football, uh, they're very much experts <laughs> as far as what they're watching, except when Randy discusses the Giants. But everything else, he knows so much about football. And Matt is great with exercise. All you have to do when Matt is talking is drop a Josh Allen mention in the comments and he loses his shit. Yes. See Matt freak out about Josh Allen – Look up Matt Jones from Breaking Bad and then listen to Matt Bushnell talk. They're the same person, but they're on on Friday night. So catch them there. It's a great show. Uh, and you've got nothing going on any day of the night, any night of the week. So catch all these podcasts. But we'll be back 7 p.m. Eastern time next Monday. This has been Dong City. Have a great night. Dong City, bitches. <laughs>